Good morning. How we doing? Is this shine good off of my head from here? Am I blinding everybody? I don't want to make light of what we just prayed about, but I will in my own life. Uh, I've never had to use this stuff to pat on your head so that the shine wouldn't come out and blind you guys. When they videoed me on Wednesday night, they had to turn the camera down. And so it's dark on TV. Uh, but good morning, Cornerstone. It's good to be here this morning. It's my first time uh, on the big uh, extended stage, so I'm excited about that. I may jump into your lap. You ready for me? Okay. Um, thank you, Christian, for reminding us of that. I'm sitting there thinking of an illustration that would be appropriate for the message this morning, and I can't, it's only like God to use something like this of Israel to be able to communicate the magnitude of what the scripture is going to take us to today in the reality of what Jesus is going to tell his disciples in the midst of confusion. And that is that in your deepest sorrow, in your most confused times, I have the power as a sovereign king to turn that sorrow into joy and to turn that unrest into peace. And what an incredible illustration that set us up for this today. And so as we think about this message, I'm fine with you thinking about Israel because it's gonna take you to the setting very close to where this upper room discourse is taking place. So if you guys have been following along, you know we're in a series called Bear Fruit. And we've been looking at chapters 14, 15, and we're finishing up chapter 16 today in the book of John. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of John. That would be the John with no numbers in front of it. That would be the first one you're going to come to. Today, as I said earlier, we're going to be hearing about how Jesus will turn sorrow into joy and unrest into peace. To help us kind of capture this magnitude in addition to the picture we got in our mind fresh from Israel. We're going to look at this promise that Jesus gives to his disciples in real time, in time in which he is in that upper room with them and the clock is ticking and he knows that his life is going to be offered up on the cross. They don't know yet, but he knows. And so we're going to look at it in that real time and then we're going to look at it from John's perspective, the one who actually penned this a recounting of the upper room, but he does it decades later. And I think because we have his perspective of looking back, a lot of this will become even more real to us because it won't be like, oh, well, that's John or that's the disciples in the real time. No, no, no. That's the reality of us walking out our faith day by day, year by year, decade by decade. And so John's going to give us his perspective. And so I want us to think about that as we go through it. John is probably about 75 years old when he is writing this. He has lived out his faith in Jesus. 
He's reflecting back over the years. He has no doubt experienced highs and lows, good times and hard times. He has seen many of his dear friends die along the way. Many of the disciples are already have been murdered by this point. He's no doubt weeped over a lot of his friends in the church that have died. He's been a leader in the early church, which at that time in history probably wasn't really big. So it wasn't like he had a vibrant ministry going on or he was part of a mega church. In fact, growing the church in that time was very difficult because Jesus was calling people to follow him, not just believe, but to deny themselves, take up the cross and follow him. And we know kind of how that goes, whether it's John 6 or whether it's the reality of life coming at us and sometimes our belief don't always respond in our obedience. And so when, he, when we think about believing and following, it was probably hard for this church, this early church to really grow in number. All the days of John's life, he lived in a hostile culture towards Christianity. He has seen and heard the hate. He's experienced persecution firsthand. And in the midst of him reflecting back on this pivotal moment in history, this historic time where Jesus shares his last few words with his disciples, John says this with great confidence and assurance. Jesus has overcome the world, so live in abundant joy and perfect peace. If you have your Bibles, look at John 16. Let me ask you this question, just to kind of engage your mind and heart into this scene in which we're at. Here's the question. Can you remember a time you experienced deep sadness? Deep sadness. You got a picture in your mind? Did it catch you off guard? Did this situation or this circumstance that happened that brought deep sadness, it catch you off guard? Were you ready for it? Did you prepare for it? Did it seem overwhelming at the time? Looking back on it, were you overwhelmed? See, I think most of us could think of at least one situation. And this is why I think this promise of joy and peace Jesus makes is so significant for us this morning and for his followers. Look at verse 16. We're going to read down through verse 22. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is that that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Well, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this, is what, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me again? in a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Verse 21, 
When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Verse 22. So also, you have sorrowed now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Verses 16 through 19, we get this picture that the disciples were confused. In fact, they don't even know what Jesus is talking about, right? They want to question him, but they don't kind of have the nerve to. What Jesus was doing was he was warning them that he was going to go away, but he wasn't being specific with them. He couldn't at that time, he couldn't go into detail of what was going to happen in the next 72 hours of his life. And this confused the disciples. Jesus knowing that it was just moments away that they would deny him. Moments away that he would hear the hellish laughter from the crowd. Moments away that they would beat him beyond recognition and they would whip him and they they would put him upon a cross. And here are the confused disciples. They don't even begin to have a clue, do they? No. He knew that in a few minutes, this life that disciples had enjoyed and they had kind of hoped for was going to be turned upside down. And the upcoming days were going to be filled with sadness and disbelief and guilt and shame. He says it, right? He says, your deep sorrow I'm going to turn into gladness. Enjoy. Look at verse 20. He gives them hope in that. And he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Verse 21. He reinforces his promise with this illustration. Read verse 21 with me says this, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hours come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Jesus gives this illustration of a mother giving birth to the child. And he begins by addressing the pain involved in her labor. The anguish that she's going to experience. Now, moms, I, I haven't ever been one. Um, But I experienced uh, our oldest daughter being born, and I experienced my wife uh, there in the labor delivery part of the hospital. And I can remember uh, when when she thought she might go natural, and then the pain was just way too much, and she started getting some uh, feel-good medicine. In fact, I think she said yes to the proposal that uh, uh, that the guy giving her a shot you know, if, if he would have asked her to marry her at that time, I think she would have said yes. <laughs> she would have just kind of forgot me. But she was in so much pain and anguish. And I know some of you, you've experienced the same thing in birth, right? In giving birth. Look at this illustration. Jesus says, but as the baby is born, the anguish turns into joy because of the new baby. The late Dr. Warren Wiersbe, he shares this idea of illustration as a picture. 
It's a picture of God bringing joy to our lives, not by substitution, but by transformation. Let's get that. This is our whole point today. Not by substitution, but by transformation. You see, the same baby that caused the pain also caused the joy. Got that? The same baby that caused the pain also brought the joy. You see, in birth, God doesn't substitute something else to relieve the mother's pain. Instead, he uses what is there already, but he transforms it. He transforms it. Now, think about that. When we try and deal with pain and disappointment and worry and so many other things in our own lives. Think about how quick we run to substitutions and not think about maybe the process of transformation. We do this as parents when we have an unhappy child because a toy or a friend has gone home. A toy is broken or a friend has gone home. When this happens, we can do one of two things. We can substitute something else for that broken toy or that friend who's left. Or we can transform this situation into a new experience for an unhappy child. I think we do this with our broken relationships. I think instead of trying to work hard and go through the transformation of watching God redeem that relationship, we go to the next one. We just dial that Rolodex and just go through our contacts and go to that next relationship. I think we look for substitutions in our money problems. Refinance, I mean, interest rates are so low right now, right? Just take all that debt and just refinance and get in more debt. Wait for that free money, it's coming, right? We all know it's not fun paying off debt. It was fun for a little while getting into debt, but nobody wants, right, the transformation of getting out of debt, the day-to-day -day grind of that. No, we, we want a substitution. We want to wipe it away. How about boredom? So, so much entertainment. I mean, we go to entertainment so fast in our boredom. What about in our sexual struggles? Pornography. Pornography has become an incredible stronghold in the lives of so many people around the world because it's a, it's a weak substitute for the real thing, for what God designed to transform our love for another individual with a substitute of fake, unreal people. But we run to it. We look for that substitute. What about our marriage issues? I think we look for the substitution a lot of times, me as a, as a husband, I, I do this all the time, right? I would rather settle. Mama happy, everybody happy, good day, see you tomorrow kind of thing, right? I'd rather appease Sheila sometimes and really work through what we need to deal with. 
Wow, substitution's so much easier. But it's the transformation that brings about the change. You see, you can list any of and every one of yours on down the line. I've got way more issues than these few. But it's in these situations, the process of transformation is painful. But the outcome is so worth it. You see, we often miss out on our spiritual growth when we don't allow God to use the experience to be the means of bringing about transformation. So follow me here. What does that have to do with what we read and where we're at in the story? Follow me. Jesus told them, you will weep, didn't he? Did he tell them that? Did he tell them you would mourn? He did tell them that, didn't he? You will be in anguish. But then he says this, but when I, I, the cause of your pain, when I return to you, you will have abundant joy in me, the person of Christ. Not a substitute, but Jesus Christ, the person. Why is that so important to the disciples to get this? Because the heat is going to be turned up. The confusion is going to be there. The hurt and agony and pain is going to be there in life. And they're going to need more than a substitute. They're going to need the real thing. And Jesus is saying, I am the cause of your pain and me returning and proving to you that everything that I've said up until this point is legit and you can believe that because I'm going to return to you and hang out with you about 40 days here on the earth and then go be with my father because you can believe that I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to transform your, the, your decisions, your situations, the things that Bring about pain and anguish in your life if you will trust me and in me alone. Phenomenal, incredible promise. But my fear is we hear it so much it just goes over our head. And we go about our substitutes. You see, John knew about this as well as anyone, looking back. He saw that this Christian life that he had lived for 40 years was tough. It wasn't some protective commune that he lived in that he never experienced pain or heartache. It was tough. But he, hang, he held on to the promise. Jesus would turn his sorrow into joy. Have you ever had that deep sadness, that moment? Happened to me 2015 when my mom was beginning to suffer from dementia. Process began. 
She started losing her memory. Her body was great. She was a single mom, raised three boys, worked until she died. Drove 100 miles, round trip, three days a week, clean houses until she was 77. Is that right, honey? 77. She just worked, but her mind was going. She knew it. She saw three of her sisters have dementia and lose their mind before their body. It was agony for her, and she didn't want that to happen. And we began trying everything we could to, to circumvent that process of dementia. Doctor said, we, we can't do it. And over the next three months, we just watched her get gradually worse. In her body, she, she started hiding more stuff from us. And she started hiding that, you know, her, her heart wasn't functioning completely. She got pneumonia and she went in the hospital and I, I got the call. She's going into surgery. You probably ought to come. We don't know if she's coming out. So I, I waited, changed my airplane flight. I was actually going to a, a mission trip here to Poland. And I decided to go see mom. And by the time I got there, she had not come out of surgery. She was on life support. And um, it, was, uh, it was one of those moments where if I could have done anything to substitute for mom, I would have. But you can't. And so God took those next two and a half days. She didn't die immediately, which again was part of the process. For the next two and a half days, I was in our hospital room reading scripture and praying around the clock. And we were, me and mom were talking about the promises of God. And in the very promises of God, what was the most sad time in my life, there was an incredible sense of joy that would just surround my heart and my spirit over and over for those two and a half days, knowing that those promises that I was reading to her, knowing those hymns that we were singing, knowing the gospel that she had lived and that she was going to see a creator when she died that she lived for, knowing all that was going to happen. There was an incredible joy that overcame my heart. I had an assurance of God's promises at that moment. And it turned that sad time in my life into joy. And it brought about this sense of peace. And so let me move to peace with that. Verse 33. Not only did Jesus say he's going to transform, transform our sorrow into joy, but he's going to take our unrest and bring peace. Look at this. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world it sounds crazy that Jesus' plan for overcoming the world was his dying. But through his death and resurrection, the victory has been won. His conquering death in the grave has defeated Satan and sin. 
And as Christian mentioned last week, the ruler of this world is judged. Because he has conquered sin in the grave, because he is ruling and will rule the kingdom, when he says, take heart, I have overcome the world, this peace I give to you, nothing can take it away. Joy and peace. In who? In circumstance? No, in Jesus. John 14, 26 and 27, he says, this peace I give unto you, oh, it's from me. It's not of the world. You, the, the world can't offer you the peace that comes from me. How can he say that? How can he say that we can have peace in confusing and difficult times in our life? Because in him, we have life everlasting. We have no eternal separation from God to fear. We don't even have to fear dying. But we can have peace to live this life for the next life. In him we have new life, spiritual new birth. Our old person is dead. We don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to be a hypocrite anymore. And we can have great peace when that happens, right? Many of us, I'm included, know when I don't have to pretend I'm righteous or I'm God's favorite, man, I can have peace in my life. In Jesus, we're adopted into the royal family, receiving all the royal privileges. We can have peace and assurance. We are always loved and accepted by King Jesus because we're in the royal family. In Jesus, our sins are forgiven. We no longer are wrecked by guilt and shame. Peace that will never be holy enough to earn God's forgiveness. Our debt has been paid. It's been paid through Jesus' righteousness. Transformation, not a substitution. In Jesus, we can experience peace because his fullness is living in us. It's what the whole series has been about, the Spirit of God living in us, producing in us mind, spirit, grace, strength, power, and today, joy and peace. That's the work of God in us. This peace that Jesus is offering is so much greater than any other peace that you can experience. Our challenge this morning is believing that. It's believing what Jesus says, isn't it? And then it's obeying like we believe what he says. So application, how do we go from big moments of sadness? How do we go from big moments in our life that bring about confusion and unrest to the daily moments of where we know life really happens? How can we do that? I'll give you four ways and there's more. But here's four ways that you can begin today to trust 
the Spirit of God and the Word of God to help you with Jesus' peace and Jesus' joy. First, take some time to reflect back over this series, over the last five weeks, six weeks of this series. Look at the work that the Holy Spirit is doing and is wanting to do in your life. Number two, pray. Be in a spirit of prayer continually. Be in constant fellowship with Jesus. What a privilege, what a gift he's given us to be in constant fellowship with him. The Holy Spirit is always with you, so abide. Abide in prayer with him. Three, trust Jesus. Even when you don't see the full picture, even like the disciples, not being able to know what was about to hit them. In the verse, one of the verses I didn't read, they said, oh, now we understand. You're not talking, you're not, you're not talking where we can't understand. You're giving us more details. Now we understand. Trust Jesus even when it's not clear. And then lastly, share our lives with other Jesus followers. It's so important, guys. For our joy and our peace, to have others that are encouraging us, that are pointing us back to Jesus, that are there for us. Here's why it matters this morning. Too many believers are living a joyless, anxious, defeated life. We are allowing the circumstances of this fallen world to overwhelm us. And folks, it just doesn't have to be this way. We do not have to settle for substitutes when we have Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. Here's what I want you to do in closing. Billy's going to come up, sing with the band. Just take a few minutes, moments, just reflect back over. Maybe you're going to be drawn back to that sad moment in your life. Maybe it happened recently. Maybe it was a long time ago. Allow the Spirit of God right now to work in your heart, work in your mind. Just talk to Jesus. If there's not joy in your life, if there's not peace in your life, there may be sin in your life. That's prohibiting the Spirit of God from bringing joy and bringing peace into your heart and life. Confess and repent of that. But take this time to reflect.